You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and today's guest is Asha Muldrow from Guidepost. Welcome, Asha. Thank you. Thank you for having me, CJ. I'm so excited to have you here as a guest, Asha, because I know you have an immense amount of uh, work experience and compliance. And for our listeners, um, Asha has a lot of experience outside of healthcare as well. I know you're doing work in healthcare too, but we can learn so much as an industry from what other compliance programs are doing. And so, you know, that's what we're going to try to focus a little bit on today. And I want to remind all our listeners as well to please subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss uh, future episodes. Um, and if you like the the sessions and the, and the episodes, please hit the like button and, and give us a little bit of love. Uh, that helps others find the, the the podcast when they're searching for compliance and those sorts of things. So with that, Asha, we love to have our guests just start by telling us a little bit about your background, you know, where you came from, what you were doing before and, and what you're currently doing. Sure. But before I begin, CJ, I just wanted to tell you, I'm so honored and privileged to be here with you. I am in your professional fan club. So I know that you are just one of the preeminent national experts for healthcare compliance. And so it's an honor to uh, be here with you today. Thank, Thank you. you so much for the invitation. Um, so I like to say that I am industry agnostic. I um, do compliance and internal investigations in any industry. So I have deep expertise in automotive industry, healthcare, wow. universities, uh, you know, big corporate uh you know, some of the biggest corporations um, in, in the world. So um, to small not-for-profits, whoever needs compliance assistance or internal investigation assistance, I like to help. And I have um, enough information about varying industries to know that I can help in a holistic way, but that I need to bring in deep subject matter experts, um, depending on what the industry is as well. So I know enough to know when I need more help. Um, That's a and, good skill, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been a lot of fun. I've been, it's funny, I've kind of been wearing, you know, a compliance advisor hat for 20 plus years wow. before we were even calling it such. But, exactly. um, you know, typically when I've always been in the space in my legal career where I've been in white collar internal investigations space. And so a lot of times, when regulators are looking at a particular company or institution, the thought is, well, how do we really clean up or bolster our compliance uh, department and processes, et cetera? So I've been pretty much wearing this hat for, for decades, um, even though it's had different names. That's great. And um, do you mind telling us a little bit about, you, you mentioned your legal background. Did you have, did you just start working in compliance? I think you have some other uh, enforcement experience too, right? 
Sure. I, I am an attorney by training. I've been practicing for over 20 years. I began my career at Latham & Watkins um, doing internal investigations and compliance work. There I had a lot of major healthcare um, clients, including tenant healthcare, et cetera, um, and was deeply embedded in hospitals and hospital systems as it related to really bolstering their posture as it relates to department um, in inquiries. Um, so I started there many years ago, and then I went to the U.S. Attorney's Office. I was a federal prosecutor for seven years in the Central District of California, again, doing a wide range of prosecutions, ranging from healthcare fraud to cybersecurity to um, major drug cartels. So a full range wow. of, of prosecutions, um, human trafficking, you name it, I did it. Um, I was there for seven years. So it was, it was busy, but particularly in LA. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then after that, I was a partner at a litigation boutique where I helped to build out their white collar investigations practice before I got tapped to come over and lead the LA Office of Guidepost Solutions, where I specialize in internal investigations, compliance, and monitoring, particularly in the compliance um, space. Um, and one of my very first projects, and I can mention it because it's public, was we were the federal monitor for General Motors. And I helped them with their redesign and compliance program assessment um, as it relates to building out a, a really robust compliance program with them. And, and we're currently also the federal monitor for the New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA, um, and building a, a brand new robust three department compliance program for them. And then you know, the assessment and working with the residents um, who are constantly <laughs> keeping them accountable for their failures. And I'm currently working with, um, again, some, some of the biggest corporations. I had a recent really interesting project where I was asked to do a benchmarking exercise where I got to talk to the um, chief compliance officers at, you know, Google and Netflix and Disney and Amazon and Walmart. It was really exciting. Um, but I will share some of the things that, you know, innovative things that they're all doing and trying um, to really be proactive in the compliance space. That's so great, Asha. And I just I want to point out to my listeners what an honor it is to have somebody with your background, because I think, you know, in healthcare sometimes we just get so focused on healthcare compliance and talking to other healthcare compliance professionals. We forget that, look, this is compliance programs are everywhere and there can be best practices gleaned from all of those organizations. And part of the reason I'm so excited to speak to you is because you have seen multiple clients. A lot of us might spend 10 years at one organization and we only know the details of our one organization. And so some of the questions and topics we're gonna to talk about today are things you've observed as best practices, what to do, what not to do, that you've seen over probably tens and hundreds of clients potentially. So thank you for, for sharing a little bit about right. that. Let, let's jump in and you know, what would you say, what are some of the initial things that we can, we in healthcare can learn from kind of non-healthcare or even you, know, you work with healthcare clients too. What are some of those best practices you've started to see? Sure. And I'll start, though, with the premise that 
uh, a lot of corporations, big, small, learn a lot from healthcare because obviously it's a highly regulated industry. Right. So healthcare um, has been really embedded in compliance and best practices long before some of these other companies really started paying attention to it. So when I started in the industry, I used to say, particularly in corporations, they had two types of compliance departments. The one where you know it was just window dressing, where the compliance right. officer was just there to sit and look pretty. And then the other type where they were really proactive um, in trying to do risk mitigation work. Um, but what I'm seeing because of the Department of Justice emphasis on having a program that's really the latter, having a robust right. compliance department that's tested um, and effective, that's becoming much more of an expectation. You can't just have a compliance department on paper anymore. And so what a lot of companies, institutions, universities, hospitals are doing is really taking a moment to take stock of mm -hmm. their compliance department. So sure. a lot of times I'll come in, either they have a new CCO or a new GC, or perhaps there is an inquiry or a complaint that came in or something that they're saying, let's take stock of our compliance department. Is it right. really effective? Let's do an independent assessment. Um, and what I'm finding when I'm looking at these companies, one, they're already ahead of the eight ball, just trying to be proactive about yeah. how to be smart about compliance. And so a lot of times they've already employed creative strategies. One of the things that I, and I, I in preparation for today, I took notes of some big categories that I'm seeing that are a lot of creativity in the space. One is around data analytics Ooh. and really using all of the inputs that you can get from big data to yes. inform your compliance department and your, your audit and risk assessment process. And we can get more into that. Um, I have a lot of thoughts around uh, uh, data analytics, but one of the things I'm seeing is that a lot of, particularly the well-resourced bigger corporations, they are adding data scientists to their compliance department. Wow. Um, and that is something that is a new trend that um, a lot of uh, savvy compliance departments are doing and, and adding head headcount um, for data scientists either in their compliance department or in their audit department or some combination to really help mine the big data. Um, so that's an interesting trend and we could talk more about that. And then as I alluded, just really being proactive in their internal investigations because yeah. the department is expecting that, frankly, that you know if there is some wrongdoing that you will be timely and um, robust in your delivery of documents and evidence to the government, uh, particularly as it relates to um, individuals. That's an expectation right. now. And so it's not enough to just sit back and wait for the government to do the investigation. You know, at first with a savvy compliance department is going to really want to know what's going on. So a lot of times I'll be brought in to do those proactive investigations um, just when something smells wrong so That's that they right. know whether or not they need to um, do disclosure. And self-disclosure is now a more of an expectation. And we've been talking about you know, self-disclosure in this space a lot, probably since 2015, but I'd right. say since the 2020 guidance and reemphasized in the department's September uh, 15th, 2022 guidance, that really is um, an expectation from the government. 
I mean, worn that hat for for so many years. I'm really sensitive to making sure, you know, you convey to the government that we are cooperative and that we are um, really a partner. Um, because frankly, a lot of times the the entity is is a victim as well. Um, right. And so you really want to have that posture and be um, proactive in your investigations and, and fact finding process. Yeah. And similarly, proactive with your compliance assessments, because, you know, you can't really hide in ignorance of, oh, well, you know, we didn't know. You really need to know, That's is right. your compliance department proactively finding, rooting out, supporting, educating, training, all those things to really be effective. So a lot of times, you know, we'll come in and do that test against the seven pillars um, to really see where the compliance strengths and gaps are. Um, And then one of the other things, and and we can get into any of these in more detail, but um, um, one of the things I'm seeing a lot of creativity around is being incentivizing the speak up culture, you know, really having a, a culture of compliance where every single employee feels that it's their, you know, sacred responsibility to uh, speak up that, you know, might have eight, nine people in your compliance department, but every single employee really has the responsibility to, you know, if you see something, say something kind of thing. That's right. But, um, you know, it's one thing to have those slogans and posters and for someone to stand up in a, you know, once you're training program to say it, but to really walk the walk and talk the talk. I'm seeing a lot of creativity around that space as well. Um, and in some sometimes that's through, you know, compensation, right? you know, really incentivizing compensation around, you know, a rewards program for having people speak up because you'd much rather have someone, you know, speak up to their compliance department and, you know, get a hundred dollar gift card, then run to the government and a key tam. That's right. Uh, case. So, um, you know, really having creative programs, I'm seeing a lot of use of compliance ambassadors because, okay. you know, no matter what space you're in from the biggest corporation to um, a not-for-profit, to a hospital, to a university, there's one universal complaint we do not have enough resources in compliance. That's right. So it really becomes a force multiplier to have, you know, really well-respected leaders in different parts of your hospital system or corporation or university um, to really be your compliance champions. And so they're called different things, compliance champions, ambassadors, ombudsmen, you know, Whatever the name, the concept is the same that, you know, you have these trusted leaders who are also trained in compliance and feel that they have a responsibility to really be ambassadors of integrity throughout the organization. Um, And a lot of times they're rewarded in different ways. Sometimes it's, you know, just the public recognition from their CEO. Sometimes it's financial or it could be um, something that works well. A lot of times it's purely voluntary and, you know, everyone's already wearing enough hats, Exactly. but, you know, just the selection of, you know, these are people who are seen as leaders in the organization. And this is a reward to also be, you know, selected as a compliance ambassador for the organization. Um, you know, a lot of times just the, the ego boost is, is enough or the extra, right. you know, star in the door. Um, but sometimes companies are being creative with their um, performance metrics, and, you know, really instilling how do we 
incentivized in the you know annual or 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 even more frequent performance assessment. Right. Um, you know, if someone is really stepping up to the plate in these different different things, so seeing a lot of creativity um, for being proactive, uh, having proactive compliance management. And, right. you know, I always say, you know, it's like Benjamin Franklin's uh, antidote, you know, uh, ounce of prevention is worth um, pound of a cure. pound of cure, you know? So Absolutely. I think savvy, savvy compliance departments are really being creative and proactive um, because the thing is, it's, you know, multifaceted. So right. how can you really have a multifaceted approach, you know, putting in all of the pieces to really make your program strong and have as many inputs as possible? Um, so I spent a lot of time, but whenever I'm, you know, interviewing CCOs and they're telling me, oh, we have this program or we're doing that. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. perfect. Those are, those are the creative things that um, really really bode well for a compliance department and also frankly look good um if a regular does come knocking because they see that you're exactly. really trying yeah i i really liked kind of your first one of your first comments about data analytics we've seen in healthcare so you know i i have attended some of these uh kind of com healthcare compliance conferences and hhs oig will often speak there and um the the current inspector general spoke about data analytics, that was one of her uh, major points. They have a right. whole division doing it. Well, that should tell us we should be doing it as well. Exactly. As you mentioned, none of us has unlimited resources in a compliance department. We don't want to do random if if we don't have to do random. So if we can drill in and say, okay, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I've used this before. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy, OIG was looking at it. It's a certain number of codes, and they were concerned with a certain number of units being reported per session because it had a time-based element. Well, do data analytics. Find that code. You know, Meet the people in your, in your revenue cycle teams. Find those codes. Drill, drill down and then audit there. So, exactly. you're, you know, you're, you're not doing kind of a, a shotgun approach. Now, I know sometimes that is probably done and has to be done, but I think this data analytics approach is really important. What? How have you seen others use data? Um, are they? Well, you know, there's there's a couple of ways. A lot of times, and a lot of times in the space I work with, um, because we might be coming in to do an internal investigation, it might be like you said, you know, hey, this is an area. Let's drill down on the data in that way and see what it tells us. Um, and that's a great use of data analytics to be useful in an investigation. But a lot of times that comes after the fact. A lot of times what I'm seeing and encouraging um, institutions to do is really be proactive with the data analytics, like to have certain things kind of always running in the background to give you real-time information fees. And, you know, it doesn't need to necessarily always distill into, you know, the, the official printouts, um, you know, even things like invoices and emails or different right. things can be really important data inputs that you're you're mining and then like you said to be targeted when you're doing your risk assessments also do your data assessments you know it's kind of a garbage in garbage out if you don't have really good data around a particular area then you might get false positives or right. you know anomalies that then you have to have you know human time to really figure out what does this mean. Um, so a lot of times I will say just even being proactive in 
the fact that you're going to be using data more um, for empirical and qualitative purposes to think about, well, what are all of our data inputs and how good are they? And let's start right. there. Um, and that in of itself can be a proactive process that can um, really bear fruit going down, down the what, line. That's really helpful. What kind of, you, you mentioned that compliance uh, programs are hiring data analysts. Are, are these folks, do you find them coming from like a, a data science, science background? Are they coming from, you know, because a lot of people in compliance might not have the expertise. I'm not a technical person, right? So it's like, <laughs> you ask me to run some report. I'm not going to, I'm not really good with with that. Are, do you know what kind of qualifications really help? Yeah, no, precisely. And I, and I think for that same reason, a, a lot of times, you know, your compliance department or, or folks like me, <laughs> we're lawyers that purpose, purposely went into law because we are terrible with numbers. Um, <laughs> and the concept could be scary sometimes. So, you know, I like the pretty dashboards, but I can't tell you how to get there. Right. Um, and so what we're seeing are really getting the quality data scientists, the people with, right. you know, that strong uh, data analytical background, and they might not have the compliance uh, background at all. Right. That part can be taught. Um, you know, sometimes they're coming over from, you know, uh, more of an audit background or finance background, right. um, computer scientists, data scientists background. Um, and that companies are recruiting specifically for that position. Um you know, not really looking at who can do this amongst us, but who really has the deep data science gotcha. um, foundation to be able to really mine this data effectively and deliver it in ways that are easily digestible for um, for the for the company. Yeah, that's really that's really great. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to pivot a little bit and talk about incentives. You talked about, you know, kind of incentivizing compliance. You know, we do it. Companies do it everywhere else. Right. Sales sales professionals are incentivized mm -hmm. by getting, you know, commission, right? And so right. all humans are motivated by certain things. Um, it can be financial, it can be altruistic, it can be different things, it can be mission statements, but somehow incorporating incentives so that it becomes a part of our, our being, right? And not just, oh, I'm going to do my once a year compliance training. Now I know compliance. Well, no, compliance in practice is doing it every day, right? right? And so what have you, what kind of specific things have you seen? Are, these are like in annual reviews. Um, are they looking at like completion rates of training or um, like what, if there are any specific examples that you can think of, what are, what are people using to measure those incentives and to in, institute incentives? Yeah, and I think to take a step back, you really hit an important point. Um, a lot of times what I'm seeing is, is people are really taking a fresh look at their code of conduct and their mission statements. And starting there with these are, you know, important core values to us as an institution. And right. you are expected to uphold these values. And um, and then starting there and, you know, of course, training to the code, et cetera, but then figuring out how best do we embed these core values into the DNA of our company mm -hmm. or our institution. Um, and so kind of taking the step backwards to say, this is really important to us, um, not an ancillary thing, but really right. something that's core to our being. Right. And that, you know, as an employee, this is something you're going to be measured against and then measuring it in all ways. So, 
you know, I'm seeing a lot more companies start adding, you know, questions related to um, related to compliance and ethics in their annual performance evaluations, which, you know, often affects bonuses or raises or promotions. So, you know, the good old, you know, tie it, (laughs) the the carrot approach, you know, people want you to perform well in that regard. And the fact that it's there, they'll inherently start to think about it more as this is part of my job responsibility. This is part of my role as a manager to make sure, you know, I'm instilling these messages because so often, you know, I'll come in for a compliance assessment or an investigation and, you know, we'll talk about tone at the top and sure the CEO can say it, but, you know, a lot of times it's the middle managers that, you know, really have the most sway on um, the day-to-day life of of their employees. And so making that, um, a job performance expectation has been an important way for incentivization. Um, making, you know, like I, I think I mentioned rewards programs, we're seeing more and more of that where, you know, you might have, um, you know, say in your internal newsletter or intranet, you know, employee spotlight for, you know, this employee, you know, did this great thing by highlighting, hey, that we could, you know, improve practices in this particular area. Um, That has been something that you're seeing so that people, you know, want to be rewarded for, hey, is there a way that we can make this better or, you know, raising concerns that they know that, hey, you might be spotlighted and, you know, receive the recognition from the highest folks in the company because you really did a good thing by speaking up here. Um, Cause so often people are afraid that, oh, I don't want to get this person in trouble or what if right. this isn't right? What if I'm not right? But right. just encouraging you know, a true speak up culture and that that act in itself will be rewarded um, is a good thing that, but it, you know, it takes time because I think human nature is really the opposite that, you know, you don't want to say something. Yeah. Um, so you can say we have a speak up culture, but is it really practice? Right. Um, the, and then on the flip side, one of the creative things I've seen some companies do is, um, you know, you might anonymize the problem, but you might also equally spotlight, hey, you know, this fact scenario yes. occurred. This is not good. Don't be like Jane, you know. Right. Um, Jane was fired. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, seeing the opposite in example um, off, often has, you know, a really good reverberative effect. And, you know, you can't report necessarily, you know, performance, I mean, um, you know, HR implications for particular people. Right. So a lot of the times people might not know there was this investigation and that, you know, X person was That's fired, right. but in an anonymized way, you could talk about this behavior is not something is that not acceptable. Yeah. I, I, one example that comes to mind as you were talking about that was, you know, in healthcare, um, sometimes you have uh, well-known personalities in a state, maybe it's a celebrity, maybe it's just somebody that people in the state know those people get sick and go to the hospital too. Well, we, I was at one institution where a well-known state personality was a admitted. Um, People were snooping in the medical record to find out why that person was admitted and they weren't directly caring for that individual. So they didn't need to do that. They leaked that to the press. It became a big issue. And the institution publicly said, these people have been fired because we do not stand for that. So to your point, you know, when, especially when you're in a big organization, you can't control every employee's every action. 
So you sometimes need to be prepared to discipline. And just like you said, mostly anonymous, you know, make it anonymous. But in this case, it was public and it was in the press and it was causing problems and it's the right thing to do. And to say, look, this is how we dealt with it. And they said that publicly. And so Mm -hmm. that that means a lot more than just saying words. The actions spoke much more loudly than the words. Yeah. And, you know, and it matters because, you know, one of the things I see being across industry is that, you know, there are certain people within a particular industry that sometimes, you know, the nature of their job is so important for in healthcare, you know, your esteemed doctor, you right. know, are they going to get fired because of X or Y or, you know, at a university, this esteemed, you know, globally recognized professor or, you know, this hugely productive salesperson at big right. company. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you just have to be consistent. Disciplinary has to be, actions need to be consistent and, you know, no one is above reproach um, and, and knowing that. Um, and I see that a lot in, you know, industries where there are certain categories of people that have right. historically not been disciplined right. um, because of the nature of their job. Um, that can promote a problem um, as well. And so that's one of the things that I'm seeing that companies are really just taking a, you know, even if you're top salesperson, even if you're, you know, giant of industry, you're not above reproach. That's right. Um, You know, that's hard to do. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) But it really is where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, if you have a compliance program that doesn't follow through, let's say on an allegation or discipline, you almost have done yourself more harm, right? Because so you've documented no action. <laughs> we didn't right. take action, right? I yeah. think of that movie, Field of Dreams, if you remember it with Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. That was what he, you know, he had to build the baseball field and then the, the players came. Same thing with a compliance program. If you build it, expect reports, expect right. allegations. You know, you, you and I have done consulting before uh, where you go in and you ask, well, how many uh, hotline calls have you had? Oh, none. That tells us we're doing so good. It actually tells me not so much because no organization (laughs) is perfect. You expect reports. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You want reports. Frankly, you want reports so that you can fix problems um, and know about them before they continue to grow or fester. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, Asha, we're we're getting close to the uh, the end of our time. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> maybe we maybe we can have you back as a guest if you're up for it again. Yeah, but I love it. I want to give you a moment to you know what other is there any last minute thoughts or or something that you could tell our audience? Again, you've got such great experience with these other companies. Um, any last minute thoughts or or comments? Well, that come one, to mind? one thing, and maybe we could talk about it more in another, um, but I am a big proponent of the compliance ambassador concept. You know, every compliance department is always going to be woefully under, under-resourced, unfortunately. You, right. But with an ambassador program, you can add 50 more people, 100 more people. And they're the on the program. front lines. They are on the front lines. So I really want to leave with just emphasizing, you know, consider, you know, I know your audience are really compliance leaders in healthcare industry, but consider how you can employ a compliance ambassador program. And, and that way you can, you know, have force, force multiply. um, I love it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in, in my experience with uh, physicians, um, there's always those physicians who just want nothing to do with us. But mm. every now and then you can find one or two among their ranks that are like, no, guys, this is important. Those are the people you want to task with being, even if you don't do it formally, you want them to be your deputy almost, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the police can only be in so many places, but if the whole neighborhood has their eyes open and are watching, you've kind of deputized others. And I think, you know, that's what you're talking about is this ambassador program find those individuals and to find those individuals means you have to be out among the people you can't just be a compliance officer sitting in your office in the ivory tower exactly yeah and that's the thing because you really want people to be able to come and ask their questions you know hey can i do this hey is this okay you know asking beforehand um and that way you can you know perhaps it might be with certain controls around it um, so just having that information exchange and having people be comfortable that they know where they can go um, to get answers is important. Great. Well, thank you so much, Asha, for, yeah. for uh, being our guest today. Um, and we want to thank all the listeners for listening again. Again, please subscribe um, if you haven't already so you don't miss future podcasts. And um We'd love to hear have you listen again to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Thanks for attending. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.